Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. I think we, this is us. We are live. Um, so thanks for uh, coming up to a talk and hanging out with us for a little bit today. Uh, Eric, you want to bring it up on the screen? That'd be great. So uh, to kind of kick it off, uh, we're going to talk about marketing isn't always evil, just sometimes. Uh, my name is Steve Zimmerman. I'm the VP of Marketing and Publishing at Eline Media. I've been playing in the marketing and communication space for a little over 20 years now. Uh, five of which have been here at Eline Media, uh, but a majority of the time has been within the geek and gaming space, uh, thinkgeek.com, for those that remember it, and you can pour one out for that, uh, as well as Sideshow Collectibles, Quantum Mechanics, um, and even a small town in Virginia. So, um, and then with me, we've got uh, Eric. Hey, I'm Eric Franson, Director of Marketing and Community at Eline Media. Um, I've been at Eline for five years, but 13 years in the game industry doing marketing. Um, prior to Eline, I was working agency side, working with brands like GameStop, Nintendo, and Activision. Cool. Um, and so before we get into the whole presentation, I'll kind of tell you like why we're here. Uh, and that's mostly because we owe Heather Chandler, one of the founders of this, a favor. Um, the other part of that is that in 2020, Eric and I launched a game for on behalf of our company in June, which is for those that remember 2020 was a real great time to be doing anything um, and trying to kind of make an impact in very new ways. Uh, we were fortunate enough though, that that launch was nominated for the Indie and the Indie PR and marketing campaign of 2020. Um, and we lost to fall guys. I'll still a little salty about that, but that's okay. Um, so one of the things we want to do is not so much go into every piece of what we did in order to make that happen. We want to kind of give you guys the chance to think about how we approach things and then what puzzle pieces fit for you. And Eric's going to go a little bit over more details of what that's going to entail in this particular session. Yeah, so really just looking at kind of all the different things that go into a video game launch campaign to make it successful from the questions to ask, the stuff to plan, the people to make it happen, the highs, the lows, all that. So what are your assets, your voice and story, the channels that you'll be utilizing, uh, planning out your roadmap, and what the heck happens after launch? Which is a big question that not a lot of people necessarily think about. <laughs> um, I do want to include a disclaimer. 
and you can see it up on the screen, but it bears a little bit of repeating is you don't have to try to do everything. Um, we're going to get into a lot more detail as to like what you can maybe accomplish if it's just you, if it's you and somebody else, if you have an entire team. Um, but we want to make sure that people aren't looking at this going, oh my God, I have to check all of these boxes. You don't. Uh, this is just what worked for us. It might not necessarily work for you. We've got very different games. We've got very different personalities, unless cloning is a thing. And then in which case, oh no. Um, one of the most important ones is don't be afraid to test and learn. Um, you can hear, you're going to hear A-B testing get mentioned once or twice with this um, during the presentation. It's okay to try something and to pivot. Um, you've maybe heard of the law of like law of sock, um, sunk cost fallacy. Just because you're already moving down a path, if you don't necessarily feel that that path is suiting you or working, it's okay to change tack. There's nothing wrong with that. So just kind of keep that disclaimer in mind as we're walking through that you don't need to do absolutely everything. That's right. So we'll kick this off. So the first question that we like to ask when we're starting a campaign and starting a project is, what are your assets? What tools do you have to execute? You know, what's, what's on the table? What levers do I have to pull? Okay, the first one um, that is probably the most important to kind of keep in mind is the budget. Um, you, depending on the size of your studio and what you may be feeling, uh, a lot of your budget's already going into making this game, making, bringing your passion to life, bringing your idea out into the world and creating it. Now, a lot of research has gone in and shown that on average, um, a marketing budget is equal to about 25 to 50% of the actual budget for the game. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. Um, it needs to be what you're comfortable with. This is, however, where I will recommend that if you should be able to spend what you're able to spend on it. Um, this is where your highest ROI starts to come into play. You want to start making some of the smart moves with this cash. But just kind of keep it in mind that it's all well and good to put together an amazing game. Uh, but if you're not talking about it at all, uh, nobody's going to find it. And we don't want that to have happened. The budget also dictates things like an ad spend. Um, I mentioned ROI like not three seconds ago. We now live, thankfully, ish in an age where you have the ability to kind of control your ads. Um, you can select the audiences that they're going to go out to. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. You can pick the channels that they go going to go out on. We'll talk about that as well, but you have the ultimate control of what you're putting together and how those things are kind of going to come into play. It will very likely be one of the more expensive parts of things. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be as well. And it goes back into the, you can always pivot. Um, a lot of the ad spend, and I don't want to step on Eric's toes because in a couple of slides, you're going to hear more about this. Uh, you can get so hands-on and so minutia that you can potentially get lost in the weeds. Um, it's why I have an Eric. It's because I will get lost and he kind of weeds through a whole lot of this nonsense. The other part that the budget dictates is your team. Uh, a lot of us here are indie developers. We don't have much of a team. Um, 
you might be looking at you're just one person and that's okay you can be a team of one um i recognized when i came into eline we did not have a marketing department uh, it had been a number of years since we had had a, uh, a game launch so we kind of needed to build from scratch so in the building of my team i found eric and eric's skill sets are not my skill sets i needed to make sure that i kind of filled in the gaps where i was not going to be able to execute at the level that I think our games deserved. Um, video production, a lot of audio design, and I'm going to give a special shout out to all the community managers who might be watching right now because you guys stare into the void and the void stares back. Um, you want to make sure that when you find your team and you're thinking about your team, it actually has the complementary skill sets um, and what it is, you know, you might not be able to do so well. Uh, the other part of that is agencies. Agencies are an interesting thing. You are going to get approached by countless amount of them. They're going to be spam emails. You're going to ignore them and that's okay. There are definitely good agencies out there. When I say agencies, I'm specifically talking about people who might be able to take your product and just go off on their own. Um, they can handle creation of ads. They can handle public relations. They might not, they might even run things at events. Your level of usage of them can be dictated by your budget and by what you're comfortable with. I don't want anybody to be like scared of the idea of potentially looking at and using a creative agency. We use public relation agencies and our contracts are custom tailored to, we get this much amount of time a month with them and so that could sometimes be weekly meetings that can be every other week meetings um they're going to send out x number of releases on our behalf so we plot and plan those out and then they're going to do some follow-up all of those things are pick and choose menu style items and so don't hesitate to reach out to what you might see as a larger agency and go cool I've got a small game. This is my budget that I can afford you a month. This is what I'm kind of looking for. So many are willing to work with people because we're all kind of in the same industry and everyone is, everybody wants to see stuff rise to the top. We're also going to take a look at, um, <laughs> you know, when I say your team, that can also include partners. And so, this includes a lot of different things that you might not necessarily actually be thinking about. And I'm talking about the stores, uh, the first party stores that, you know, Sony, Microsoft, Epic, Steam, they have reps for you. You can get assigned an account rep. And one of the first things that you're going to want to ask that person is, how can I get my game to the front page? What special promotions are there for indie games? what sales are coming up all of these things should be counted as amongst your assets and they're part of your team um, stay on top of them you have to manage them you have to remind them that you're there and you have to be paying attention to the emails for sales but that's where you're going to start to see some of the greatest returns uh, another idea of who can be on your team is some of the partners that you may have used to do this if you had to bring in an audio engineer or a sound guy or you know, a company of some kind to help with that, chances are they've worked in the industry before. Chances are that they also have 
their own social following. Chances are that they have contacts elsewhere. You should think about how you can activate and leverage and utilize those channels as well. Because it's if they did a great job on your game, it's going to behoove them to promote it just for they can get more business. People can find your game as well. It becomes a very mutually beneficial relationship. That also goes for if you hire something, let's say, like voice talent. If you're working with a fairly well-known VO artist, it won't hurt to, in the contract phase of this, and when you're setting up everything, oh, they're going to come in, you're going to pay them to do the game. Cool. In addition to this, we would like one Instagram post. We would like one tweet where you talk about our game. Utilize the different channels that are available to you that you might not necessarily be directly thinking of. Which kind of leads us into the next bit, which Eric will cover, which is the, just your general network. Yeah, and so really kind of taking a look outside the confines of your specific project and thinking about, okay, what communities am I involved with, involved with both online, offline, Discord servers, you know, meetup groups, people you've met at conventions, any, any kind of people that are involved in the industry or even just passionate about the industry itself. Um, that can also extend to relationships with any media outlets. Maybe you know someone that writes, you know, is a contributing author to one of the large gaming blogs, um, you know, influencers or streamers who can help amplify your message. You know, something that we've noticed is pickup and placements in some of those outlets tends to, you know, spider out from one spot. You know, it's like once a couple outlets will pick something up, it'll start making its way around. Momentum is a very real thing in this space. So it may you may say, oh, okay, well, you know, I know someone, but they're they're a small streamer. And that may be, but if they're a small streamer, they probably know a few other small streamers and you can very quickly kind of build some nice momentum. And again, even just goodwill and having some of those relationships in place, you just never know. So I think, you know, to build off Steve's point, taking a really broad kind of take a step back and a holistic look at your your network who's in your corner who could you reach out to you know don't be don't be shy absolutely and then if you're doing the reaching out and you are activating your team and your partnership and stuff like that what do you no you're actually in the right slide Eric. you're good uh, <laughs> what are you saying to these people um what's the story that you want to tell the game is capturing what you're making in the story that you're creating, um, and it has its own voice. A marketing campaign, a good PR campaign, has one as well. Don't necessarily assume that it's a one-to-one. -one. Um, and what I mean by that, and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, but again, you have to take a step back and look at things. What type of language gets used within the game? What type of story is being conveyed in the game is it fast and frenetic it does it have a little bit more of a relaxed tone to it is it g-rated is it pg-13 is it r and then if so how are you utilizing that language in the story that you're creating to put out to press to consumers to people um there's even stories that can go beyond just that game or just that is it by the game is that your your story and your call to action is it support an indie um this is where you want to start kind of thinking about punching above your weight class as well there are games that have been developed by three people that are huge there are games that have been developed by 40 people that are very small 
and you want to think about do you want to let the audience and the press into the behind the scenes or do you want to make it seem that you guys are bigger grander and better again this is all decisions that work for you um and then you kind of need to think about eric and i when we were looking at our last launch decided we wanted to punch above our weight class um and a lot of that was because we had other partners that were involved with it that are internationally known and we needed to sort of rise to that standard and then push beyond the game itself was made by like with like six seven people not including us um but with the way that it sounded the way that it was polished we made it seem like it was this very very large thing and that actually earned us a, a fairly significant amount of traction one of the other ones you want to consider is while you're talking about the game, are there key phrases that you want to see press consumers using over and over and over again regarding your game? That might be that there is a special mechanic that you're introducing and you want you know, the world to kind of stop and think about it. One of the most relatable examples, perhaps, is actually not in gaming. But if we go back a number of years ago, when The Matrix came out, and they had new camera technology and they called it bullet time it's an unfortunate name now i recognize that but it was something that the world had never seen every bit of marketing and press for that movie had that phrase in it and so everybody was talking about a key differentiator differentiator that was something new so you need to identify what that might be for you and think about whether you can actually like hang your hat on it and genre and could be a piece of that as well, like how you want people, players, to think about your game and categorize it, kind of maybe leading some of that conversation, um, you know, especially if you feel very strongly about where you might fit in the big picture. And if you've got these things, who are you telling them to? And I leave you in the hands of Eric for this one. Yeah, so that's your target audience. So, you know, who do you think will be buying your game? For many of us, um, our target audience can be something broad, like indie gamers, people that are sampling a broad variety of games and supporting indie devs you know it's not someone that's all they play is is destiny all they play is fortnite we're looking at you know more more than likely kind of a more a more sampling crowd um but most importantly once you've kind of figured out who you think you should be talking to it's important to speak in a way that's going to be appealing to those players so um you know one thing to consider for that are affinity titles so similar games who you believe those players would also enjoy your game how are they communicating what can you learn from them and their players so in the case of our game some of our affinity titles were abzu endless ocean so this really meant channeling kind of the wonder of exploration and the beauty of our ocean think of it as you're kind of painting a picture and you want to attract those players to kind of the story you're telling in the picture you're painting um, in marketing it's something called inbound marketing where the idea is like you're setting things up to allow players to find you um, instead of just shouting out uh, into the void so um, a second consideration kind of building on top of that is how do you actually present yourself so is it uh, you know, in specifically in social media, but I would say in in general, um, are you representing as yourself? Are you, you know, doing something in character? Are you the brand? Um, you know, it's something to consider and completely recognize that you 
may already have presence. Oftentimes you are yourself in these channels, in these communities. So it's important to kind of leverage the equity that you have already built and the relationships that you have. If people know you as your, your username, that's something important to consider. Um, it's important to leverage the pull where you have it, but that could also come with some additional risks um, that differ from utilizing a brand or company profile. For example, at Eline, we use official game and brand channels on social media in order to focus on the content and the games, not on the individual, also because doxing is a thing. Plus, uh, what happens if someone has established a voice as themselves and they leave the project or they stick their foot in their mouth? It's just kind of one extra layer. So, you know, it's going to really depend on your individual situation, but some really important things uh, to think about. Yeah, and I'll jump in on this one. And having run a number of the teams that kind of do this thing, um, for those that remember ThinkGeek, ThinkGeek had Timmy. It was a, a monkey that kind of spoke on behalf of the entire company so that if people were changing over, there was always a consistency versus a company like Sideshow, which for a while was a singular person. That person left what type of vacuum does that create in terms of now reestablishing trust with the audience? Um, we do it through official channels, uh, as Eric mentioned. However, when you're interacting with like customer service or Discord or things like that, uh, Eric uses a bit of an alias. Um, we're very aware of it and we try to be very conscious of it because I don't want to have to throw Eric to the wolves. I'd rather he help me keep the wolves at bay. If that makes sense. Cool, cool. And you said the magic word channels, which is the next thing we're going to be Yay. talking about. This is a long slide, so uh, grab some snacks or uh, get comfortable, get a drink. Um, so what we're going to be looking at here are some of the various channels you should be looking at and considering for your launch. We'll start with social. Um, I'll be honest, it at times can feel like there's pressure to be everywhere. You know, community managers know it. I, I get it. Uh, pressure to be everywhere. And frankly, it's just not realistic. You have to prioritize. And especially, you know, on a small team, if you don't have a dedicated marketing person, you're doing a lot. So instead, we recommend focusing your energy and doing one or two channels really well. And then you can scale as needed and able. So looking at channels like Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, if it's still a thing next year. Basically, fish where the fish are. This goes back to your target audience. Looking at it where, you know, if you are trying to reach indie gamers, if you're trying to reach a specific kind of player, look on those channels and those platforms and see if you can identify like, yep, my target players are here. This would be a good place to engage them. Um, of course, channels like YouTube and Twitch are important for streaming content. Um, it's just another great way to show off uh, gameplay and what you're working on. Um, we like to say stream like nobody's watching and just bank all that content. So you're just, again, you may start small, but it can grow and it doesn't take, you know, you can get some big, uh, some big opportunities to pop up through that. On top of that, building search equity within platforms like YouTube. So when people search your game, more content is good. You got to feed the machine, feed the algorithm. But eventually, if people are looking for you, you want to be able to have ownership over those search results, ultimately. And we're going to talk a little bit more 
a little bit farther down the slide about your website, but ownership is an important piece of this big puzzle. Um, Discord, we found, is great for building community. Don't have to explain that to you guys, probably, but it's uh, it's a nice place to have real-time, personalized interactions with players and fans, um, you know, just to, to talk to them and, and accumulate them. Giphy is another one I want to shout out, uh, you know, taking content that we've made and preparing them into gifable moments netted us you know over 50 million views on that platform largely i think because we approached it like what would i want to send to a friend in a text message what's a reaction gift that we could recreate in our game engine what are you know thinking it not just hey this looks cool thinking of it in a, in a utilitarian sense and saying like, how would someone use something like this? Where could this trend in the search? You know, if I was going to search for this reaction that I want to send to somebody, how would I do that? So I think finding platforms like Giphy or others that would suit your goals and being creative in how um, to utilize that platform can net some big results. Um, email is also super important. Um, I would say the most important piece to think about with email is building and owning your own audience. So when you think about social media, ultimately, that those are Facebook's users. It's Facebook's data. It's Instagram. It's, you know, those users exist there. And if that platform disappeared tomorrow, which they probably won't, but you never know, um, <laughs> poof, there goes your player base. There goes your audience. Um, Email is something that we know is going to be around and it's something you can manage and communicate, again, very directly one-to-one. -one. So we use signups on our website uh, with MailChimp. We collect signups at conventions. You can go high-tech with an iPad or low-tech with a real pad. <laughs> um, at PAX, for example, we also gave away copies of our game. So this led to an opt-in email list of around 5,000 emails of real attendees that were interested in our games. And, you know, in marketing, we call that a lead magnet in some cases, but basically it's an incentive to sign up and exchange, like a value exchange of you give me your email address and then you get something else in exchange. So we found that to be useful at multiple events and has really helped to grow um, our mail list by hundreds of percentage points. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in real quick on that one. Um, much like we were talking about like our partners and things like that, that there are always opportunities potentially for opt-in on email addresses. Opt-in email addresses is like an email that Eric mentioned as you own, have got a dollar value associated with it. Um, I'm not gonna get into the whole lot of the math in terms of you know retention of a customer and what that email is worth, that it's a sliding scale based on the product that you're moving. However, there is a distinct dollar value to it. Um, and if you have the ability to give away, like we did like five games and it was through packs, and so it was through the event organization and everybody went, yeah, I want a chance to win those five games. We have all of those email addresses. We keep those in a separate bucket from the email addresses that come in versus the iPad or the paper pad. Um, we know that these guys stopped by our booth. These folks visited us. We probably had some sort of interaction with them. So we speak to them differently than we do the larger. However, overall, you're able to start growing and growing and growing. And once you've got an exponential email list, you can do all kinds of interesting things, not just talk, but you can get feedback. You can get player testing. You can get brand evangelists. It's the one that Customer probably gets journeys. me most excited. 
Yeah, customer <laughs> journeys. There's a funnel. It's a thing. <laughs> yep, I'm passionate about that stuff. Uh, that's actually a pretty good segue into the website bullet point here. Um, again, ownership of your content, ownership of your search results and your overall presence, hugely important. Um, SEO being search engine optimization. It, it's really important to have a destination that's indexed by search engines, mobile optimized. This is all stuff that's going to be crucial, making sure people can discover your game on their own. You can use link aggregation services on social media like Linktree and things like that. They're great because they can round up different important links, prioritize stuff. They're super easy to manage, especially if you don't do any web development. Um, I would say that is good to have. It's still really important to have a website, a domain, things that you can really, again, control, own, and manage. Um, kind of a, a corollary to that is paid media. You can run ads um, on channels like YouTube. It's a great way to get both uh, views on your video content and reach new players. You may not know this, but views on YouTube video or on YouTube ads actually count as views on your YouTube video. So um, as I mentioned before, you know, targeting players of affinity titles is a great way to get started with advertising. So you can tailor your content to speak directly to that audience. Um, with the website, you can take that a step further and you can use specific landing pages that you set up on your website that are specific to audiences that you target with those ads to help tailor their experience and hopefully lead to better results. So if you wanted to make an ad that was specifically trying to appeal to players of Abzu, for example, you could use language and imagery and things that would be specifically appealing to that on your website in the YouTube ad itself. And you're basically kind of reaching out to those players and kind of pulling them into your universe um, through those through those avenues. Um, in our case, we actually worked with Google directly to plan and launch a media campaign on YouTube. They do have programs for small businesses to get them uh, using Google Ads, so don't be afraid to reach out. Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all the speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. Yeah, that's a lot right. of stuff about the website. Uh, Steve, talk a little bit about the influencer side. Yeah, I'll talk a bit about the influencers. I'm going to kind of probably start speaking a little bit quicker to make sure we can kind of get ourselves through everything we've got going on here. Influencers, you hear them all the time. They're often referred to as content creators as well. And since we are all here in the circle of trust, 
you guys are the actual content creators. Um, they're the people making content about your content. Don't lose sight of that, please. Um, so one of the things is you can absolutely use them. Um, more and more, they're going to want to get paid to be used. And so you need to decide whether that's part of your budget or whether you've actually got, you know, a relationship with somebody that might actually benefit um, from having a partnership with you and vice versa. Still speaking to the circle of trust things, uh, if they reach out and they tell you that they're a Steam curator, don't do it. Um, save yourself the clicks. Um, sorry. Um, one of the things you need to kind of keep in mind, though, is whether their tone is going to fit your tone. It's all about whether things are matching up, and you're going to have to do your research, either if you've got an agency who's kind of digging these folks up for you, or if you're going out there and kind of sending it out to them on your own. Uh, there's an unfortunately famous example of a influencer or Twitch partner that was at one of the conventions, and he was filming in the bathroom. You don't want your game associated with that. Um, so you got to ask if they're the right fit for you and how that kind of relationship sets up and works. And then uh, here's yeah. a bugaboo of Eric's. <laughs> this is one of my biggest pet peeves. So key scammers from influencers, and I put that in quotes, um, they're everywhere. We get them all the time. And the gist of it is you get an email that looks real good from a, you know, 100,000 500,000 subscriber influencer. It says, hey, I love your game. I'm just going to need a few keys and I'll stream it on my channel. The thing is, it's not from them. It's from an email address that looks deceptively similar to theirs. Maybe they switched an O for a zero or something like that. Um, the long and short of it is, it's okay to ask for verification with them. You want to make sure your keys end up in the hands of the right people, not impersonators, except no substitutes. I think the creators themselves are frustrated by this as well. So you're doing everyone a favor by pushing back and just saying, I want to make sure you are you. And always remember, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I hate scammers. Back to you, Steve. Okay. Um, events. <laughs> We've mentioned events as a place where we actually get a lot of email addresses that come in. Events are also where we go hands on. Um, we get to have a conversation with the people who are playing our game. We get to take that feedback back to the development team itself. So you're getting customer feedback instantly that you can translate out to be usable data. I know that events can be expensive. I know that there are options such as like Indicade and others like that, where you might be able to become a part of a larger kind of indie mega booth. Um, you can find other folks about your size that might be able to, you know, you guys can buy out a booth together and you get multiple stations set up. The, when we hit the, you know, the 2020 and everything shut down, uh, I think Eric and I had just gotten back from PAX East. We love shows and shows are our best opportunity for the collection of emails, for the grassroots marketing campaign of talking to folks, for getting feedback to the developers, for finding out, you know, for meeting up with press, which we'll get to in a second. Um, they're kind of this big streamers and, you know, streamers, influencers, things like that. They are a huge catch-all. If you have the opportunity, like, I do highly suggest because the people that show up at these shows 
are the ones who are very much interested in your product, particularly the, the, the dev guys. The AAA studios have got like the long, long booth lines, but people are going to buy them. They know that already. You'd be surprised how many people go specifically to meet the midsize and smaller studios. Um, Stranger Danger is real. That's fine. Uh, something to keep in mind is that they're probably more scared of you than you are of them. That's okay. Um, we've got rules in terms of like interacting with folks and you just need to find again what your tone and what your pace is. Um, we see, we did the math the other day actually. We estimate that in a four day show in a booth with four kiosks set up, we see somewhere between 10,000 and 15,000 players of the game. That's remarkable. And if you have Square and you've got keys or you have a way to sell right then and there, impulse purchases are an amazing thing. Um, so it's just, if you have the ability, I would seriously consider looking into them. Because then you get to do press. There is, much like there's a concentration of uh, consumers there, there's a concentration of press. Big, big blogs, small blogs, and everything in between talk to any and all. Um, some of the most meaningful connections that we've had are with really small journalists and, well, not small journalists, small sites um, and normal sized journalists that um, we've got to spend some time with and that we've seen over our five years working at Eline, we make a point of always getting together in the booth and talking about what's coming up next and what we've got going. Because if they've got readership, those are probably pretty dedicated readers and that means they're going to be trusted sources, which means that if they say this is a good game, you should buy it. Those are sales. And I'll take some over none any and every day of the week. Um, if you have an agency, they might be able to set up um, interviews and schedules for you. If you don't, you've got to take about a month before um, the show starts. You'll get a press list. Um, and if the show is worth being at, they will have a press list that they can send you. And then you gain start the calls and the emails. Um, and it's okay. I know it feels weird to kind of like cold call and reach out about that. Uh, it's something that gives every marketing and PR person still some level of heebie-jeebies, but it's what gets us through and kind of into the next thing. So, and while we're at it, um, real quick, I do want to talk about Metacritic. It still gets used pretty heavily. Uh, it does make me roll my eyes a bit, but you need the magic number of four, um, four Metacritic approved sites before you get a Metacritic score. These things are heavily indexed and then uh, on the web, like Eric mentioned, you get a lot of search from it. It's kind of a good thing. So we're gonna move to the next slide because we are rocking and rolling to make sure we can get to some of the questions that you guys have got to ask. Planning your roadmap. Uh, how long do you want to be feeding the beast for? You're gonna to need to establish some sort of timeline um, from when you think you want to launch to when you actually want to announce that you're launching to if you want to drip feed. Uh, our last game, we announced, and then two and, a half later, or two and a half years later, it came out. I don't want to do that again. Um, but you can also, we have, um, there's an example out, you can search for it easily enough about a game that was basically shadow dropped uh, to huge success. This is the game. It was out the next day. There are perks to doing it in both ways. You need to consider what type of time and effort it takes to kind of keep the machine interested. Because if you can burn out all of your press, if they've already written about it once, they might not be doing it again when you get closer to launch. Um, you want to populate the timeline with marketing beats. It's basically setting up an editorial calendar. Uh, 
Eric mentioned capturing all of that web content, all the streams and things like that. Cool. When are you going to use them? How are you going to use them? Pace it out. Are you having something every other week? Are you having something every week? Figure out what works for you so that you can still get the game made and then successfully launched without going nuts. And then at some point, you just got to do it. You got to pull the trigger. And then once you're into that, you can still pivot, but then you got to start hitting those beats because a consistent message is always going to be better than a sporadic one. If they're looking forward to your content and they're looking forward to your posts and they're looking forward to the next dev vlog or blog, that's better than, oh, wow, it's just popped up out of nowhere. Something to kind of keep in mind. Mm -hmm. And to right. build on that, uh, at the end of the day, it's really about the gameplay, you know, letting people know what to expect, being upfront, being honest and being real. You know, you're not going to win any favors by overselling certain things that aren't realistically representative of the game. Let people kind of form their own opinions. Don't worry, they will just uh, guide them. Cool, cool. And then lastly, what happens after launch? So um, this is one of my, this is kind of where I really, uh, I've, I've this is my favorite part of the process, to be honest. So this is where player support and community comes into play. This is where you shift from looking inward to, hey, we're bringing this game to market to looking outward. You've you've built a thing, you've put it out in the world. It's going to take on a life of its own with your player base. So, you know, as I said, it's about being authentic. So you want to be responsive. I say a player champion, right? You want to listen to feedback, filter out all the signal to noise. Um, again, going back to maintaining focus, a comment from one person does not a feature addition make. It's hmm. really critical to spot the trends and act accordingly. So there's many cases where, you know, we'll see a isolated bug report and it's important to at least log that and that, add that to your list in case it pops up. But there's plenty of other times where you see a influx of reports of similar or the same issue after a new update. And it's like, okay, this is something that we should probably address uh, post haste. So really taking a step back and understanding kind of the big picture on that. Um, to that end, we found that using a ticketing system can help, especially when you're looking at teams. Um, you don't want to blow up your inbox. It's great to have a centralized view of all the reports and things. You probably, if you have a team, you're probably using Jira or another or Trello or another, um, you know, task management system. You can have integrations with ticketing systems with those task management systems. So again, if you're using a team, those systems can talk to each other. Um, one example of something that came up kind of once players really started to play for our last game was asking for photo mode. We had a lot of requests for that. So that was something that we built out in about three months post-launch. And the really cool thing about this was it expanded to entirely new audience with built-in mm. content marketing. So um, I was not previously aware before this that there is a whole virtual photography community, like there are many of them. It was very exciting because it's when you think about the value of content and with a game that's very um, visually centric, um, it worked very, very well to kind of give the game a whole second wave of content and creators and players. So that was very, very exciting. Cool. Um, and then 
one of the things that I kind of want to reach out to, I don't know if it's on the next slide, Eric, or if we have a slide for it, but it's no. something that I want to kind of tag into. Um, we said at the beginning, we kind of joked like, you know, you know, marketing isn't always evil. It is just sometimes. Um, we, I know it's something that we've kind of tried to foster within our team. Um, and if you are marketers, I greatly encourage you to think about this as well. Um, we're the ones that are so often the bearers of bad news. Um, if we're the ones that are taking in the customer feedback and passing it along, if we're the ones that are, hey, this isn't necessarily working or we got to think about this feature because this is what the, we think that the audience is going to react to. Uh, it is both our responsibility to take that information, filter it, and then give it to the production team. Um, I implore you to do that with a kindness, um, just as I implore you to do that with praise as well. One of my absolute favorite things is getting back from a convention or a show and doing our after action report. Um, and I write up all of the praise um, that we hear. We try to get quotes, we get pictures, we get video clips. Uh, whenever possible, I drag a few of the production team along with us because I think that they occasionally need that juice, that little bit of extra motivation, that um, certain something that kind of gives them a little bit more as to like, this is why we're doing it, this is who we're doing it for. So I say share, you know, share your beats, um, both you know, share the negative news, share the positive news, but do so with an air of kindness. Let them know that the production team know that the the thing that they made, the thing that they poured hours of their life into, you're going to pour hours of your life into to make sure that it finds a home, that it finds an audience. Um, I think that that is one of the reasons that we were as effective as we were with our last launch is that we integrated ourselves pretty early um, and we everybody was more or less treated with respect. And so it's not so much the last link in the chain, but it is just collectively working to make sure that everybody's on the same page and doing as best as they can and are taking care of each other. And so that's, we're not always evil, just sometimes a little evil, but something to kind of keep in mind. Um, with that, shockingly, I think we actually hit um, the 45-minute mark almost on the nose. So if there's any questions, um, ooh, all right. Hex the hardcore casual asking, well, Eric, I'm going to give you this one. How do you get noticed on Twitch when streaming? How do people find you when you are not an established gang? Good question, Hex. It's a great question. And I mean, the truth is, it's hard. Um, I think this goes back to some of the points we made about networking and knowing some people, potentially using partners. It's a little bit of luck, but it's also being prepared and putting your best foot forward with some of this stuff. So it's some cold emails. It's potentially working with an agency partner. It's going to conventions. What I said before about having some inertia and momentum around having a few or a handful of streamers starting to play, that can be real. So pull all the levers you have of people that you know, get out there and meet people. Um, and I think that'll at least put you in the right direction. Um, I wish there was one single straightforward way to guarantee that success. I'll I'll jump in as well though. We've gotten we've gotten to the point with streaming technology that it is 
well within everybody's possibility to put together a pretty quality stream, either using like the cameras, the like stream decks, things like that. And so it's an old Penny Arcade joke that stream like nobody is watching. Keep putting yourself out there. Keep bank and backlog of content and keep taking a look at the quality that you're putting out. It will start to rise up. The signal to noise ratio on Twitch is tremendous. So you need to be coming at it from a couple of different angles, but don't be discouraged and put yourself like, you know, best light and the best sound forward. Sound is something that people will notice way more than their video quality. Uh, please keep that in mind. Okay, VCD Gamer. I've learned that attending events is usually a great way to help showcase your indie game. Sadly, in my country, no such gaming events exist and my social media presence is weak. Got any advice? Weirdly, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, you are in the golden age for this question, VCD. Um, there are more virtual conventions now than there ever have been before. Uh, the pandemic threw everybody in for a bit of a loop, and so getting out there is not... Uh, as easy as it used to be, but a lot of the major conventions, um, EGX and Resd and PAX and all of the biggies, um, I think it's MGM is in England as well, have now a virtual portion of the show. While it's not going to still be the one-to-one, -one, absolutely get yourself out and signed up into those. And, you know, you'll be... Trust me, we would be love to be doing this to a live audience right now. It's a little strange. I talk to Eric every day. This is like us having a conversation about what it is that we do. But it is a great way to still get out there and get your names seen. Um, so I'd say track those down. And regardless of where you're at in the world, you know, we'd love to see you at some of those shows. Indie Game Business from Discord. Uh, coming from a smaller team, any suggestions on how to motivate all team members to adopt a marketing mindset? Um, I, can, I can take part of this one. Yeah, take the first part of this one. I'll see what you think. Because I want to know so, if, you've got, if you've adopted a marketing mindset. <laughs> I think the main thing, it goes back to what Steve said a little bit about trust, but em embedding yourself within that team and really presenting yourself as a collaborator and a partner in it putting your your best foot forward and saying like we all want the same thing we want this game to succeed i found that rolling my sleeves up and sitting down next to the development team back when we were actually in an office to like plan content ideas was like slam dunk it's like going to the art team and saying show me all the cool ish that you're working on like what 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 can i show that would make you know this look really cool so it's it's kind of empowering the members of that team to you know come to you with their own ideas as well and uh you know putting out a good faith effort to you know make make good on what uh you know what you discuss yeah i think uh being transparent as possible is i think one of our biggest things uh we do have a game in development right now eric and i are sitting in on all of the brainstorm meetings all of the milestone meetings everything think about it like acclimating um a new fish to a tank. You just kind of sit there very quietly for a while. Um, you try not to disturb anything and they kind of get used to your general presence. Um, what is also very helpful is show them the stuff that you are creating. Uh, we just put together um, a trailer, for an internal trailer for some you know, investors and some other people that are looking at things. And then once we had that done, we showed it to the entire team. And so they saw the stuff that they were working on 
being utilized and brought into an entirely different environment. And it's like, and it's got sound and it's now it's like way more visual. They're starting to think about, okay, cool. I did this really great animation. Do you guys want to see it? We collect everything. We've told them all works in progress. Everything gets dumped into a Dropbox so that we can pick and pull whatever we need in order to make it happen. Make them a part of it because it's your work. It's their work that you're showing off. And once they get that, they'll start to give you some of their best stuff. Ooh. Ah, yes. Strong yeah. agree. Um, what, that's what it's a really, really good point, Matthew. Uh, key scammers do use some real, they look, they use legitimate sites. You can follow their social links um, if it comes in. I mean, we've reached out to sites as well um, and to actual streamers and influencers and things like that and said like, hey, uh, we just got this email. Is this really you guys? And they're like, no, it is not. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. Steam curators, you're absolutely right. When they start asking for more than one key, they're definitely not there. I kind of made some of my opinions about the Steam curation process a little bit known. We've never necessarily seen any huge benefit of it. If you need to save yourself the keys, save yourself the keys. Um, so, but yeah, it's constant vigilance. The, all right, from Discord, what if the budget is slim for marketing? Can you suggest some cost-effective strategies? Uh, do you think user-generated content is a valuable approach to consider? Ooh, you want to handle the UGC one first, Eric? Yeah, and I, and I would say yeah. UGC is definitely an important part of it. Like I mentioned with photo mode, think about it in terms of if you were just a player of a game, what would make you want to share? And I think you see a lot of this in games that allow you to customize characters, you know, creation mode, like give people some kind of ownership to create. Um, any way to do that is inherently going to prompt players, I think, to share and get you some nice visibility in some ways. Um, so if that, you have that the is how I would to, think about that. If you have the ability to even run like a, you know, a contest, a virtual giveaway, um, mm -hmm. check legal laws and all things required in order in which to do that. But if it's, you know, screenshot and you're giving something out in return, um, use generated content is fantastically valuable. Um, the budget is slim. Yeah. UGC is great. The audience acquisition, the email acquisition, and being able to like utilize people that you've got in-house. Um, if you've got the time, yep. join other Discord groups as well. I think that's a huge one. Relationships um, and, and like yeah, personal relationships matter. And yeah. so it's the, hey guys, you know, there are indie forums, there are indie discords, there are people for both the developer and consumer um, and start utilizing those. They're all free with the exception of your time. And so that's something that I would kind of take a look at as well. Yes. Yeah. There is. Go for it. Because I know you got one in mind. I mean, I mean, No Man's Sky is like one of the ones I always think of, of like the, the late stage, like heroic, triumphant, like ascension. So it's... I wouldn't say there's no there's no hope. <laughs> there's definitely there's definitely still hope yet. I would say. I mean, and I'll also point out um, Among Us. Among Us was yeah. uh, not that big of a game. Uh, it came out in 2018, I think, and then crushed it in 2020. Uh, From one streamer, one huge streamer. Yes, one huge streamer found it. 
and it went big. Um, there's always hope. And so it's, you know, don't stop on the grinding of it. Like we said, we got a fully blown second audience because of a photo mode. Uh, Among Us blew up two years after launch because one streamer found it and then they had a banner year. Um, no Man's Sky, it was a launch. Then they went dark and quiet for a while and came back and said, no, this is what we're doing instead. And I would say it's probably bigger than ever. So definitely still hope. Um, find your targeted effort. Uh, and so if you think that there's a streamer that you like, that you think might like your game as well, shoot your shot. Because if you're already you know, a couple years in, eh, not going to hurt. I think we actually probably have different answers for this, but mm-hmm. Eric, you want to go first? It's tough for me personally between streamers and ads. I'd probably put streamers first personally, especially the right streamers. Um, because those are going to, if, if you've got an experience that I think people would respond to, streamers are going to get you a lot of eyeballs that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise um and then blending ads the the hard truth is a blend of a lot of things and seeing what's working is still going to be your best bet but again you got to start and try something so i would probably put them in in the order that you listed out there for me personally i'd go uh i go one that's not here um and that's press um i am from a traditional public relations background. And so that's sort of where I slid into all of this and kind of kind of how I come at it because earned media is always going to be greater, uh, a greater impact than bought media. There's a big asterisk that hangs on that now because the way that the ads and ad rolls for YouTube and stuff are functioning, it's a little bit different, but I would, I'd say earned media and press followed by streamers, live events, ads and then online events so all right so where would you add email hmm email is an interesting one because it floats over top of all of it um if you have like we said in the very beginning like you had a dollar amount um per an email address it's part of i view it a little bit as like our press um yeah mostly because like i would send out just about the same message to our audience we even will let our captured audience know things before I let press know as sort of a benefit for signing up. We've created what we have, what we call an E-Line Insiders program. And so these are the folks like that VIPs, find about, basically. yep, they're the VIPs. They get the news first. They get the access to like a beta key first. They get uh, informed when the next update will be first. We send them videos. So we actually prioritize that audience above all because we view them as our people. It's always one of those things that I think is underrated. And a lot of developers don't, don't realize that email is still really, really powerful. All right, I wanted to hop in because we got time for one more question and then we're gonna head over to our, our last one of the day. So for the last one, is guerrilla marketing still a thing? Can, can it successfully be applied to indie game promotion? Ooh. Um... Guerrilla marketing is a thing insofar as you're eventually going to have somebody turn to you and go, I want to make this go viral, which is like the worst statement you can hear uh, from a marketing person, but like make it so it goes viral. I can't like, it's just not going to be possible. 
um, you can set things up and hope that they fall well. I'd be careful with guerrilla marketing, um, and that's mostly because now more than ever, people can smell a shill. Do not, do not, I beg of you with all of my marketing heart, become shills. If you like <laughs> present yourself honestly, unauthentically into whatever community that you're trying to actually interact with, you're going to be much better received than if you are shill and then you're called out. Now, that's different than you know, oh, I'm leaving little things around a convention space for people to find that kind of guides them back to their games. If that's the case, please work with the convention organizers in order to make that happen. They would love to be able to do that. I can tell you that from personal experience because it gives their audience something else to interact with. And they love that. Um, so, like, the answer is yes, but don't be a shill. Uh, I'll, I will tag on to that with my favorite marketing gorilla story and do not go to gdc and hand out your energy drink in grenade shaped bottles for people to put back in their you know suitcase yep. and go through customs <laughs> with uh there was that one that. uh when one of the one of one of the batman movies came out uh one of the nolan batman movies came out uh there's people walking around major cities drawing the little bees in places mm -hmm. uh, with the bat wings uh don't know how many cops got called for that as well like Aqua Teen Hunger Force in Boston. Yep, like <laughs> just be real, real careful. Alrighty, guys, thank you very much. And you know, if y'all have more questions about marketing or anything else related, everybody's on our Discord. Just go to Discord.gg/indiegamebusiness. I am going to close this one out, and Dan is up, getting ready to introduce our last one of the day. Our own. Heather Chandler is going to be talking with Tina Mary on how to navigate layoffs. It's a fireside chat. So, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Guys, thank Thanks you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We'll be back in about Cheers. five seconds. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.